0: This is Big Sky Lead, a dive into the stories about how government and politics drive the direction of Montana. This podcast is from the reporters of the Montana State News Bureau in Helena, your eyes and ears on state government. It's produced by me, Tom Bridge. Our team brings you their reporting and the stories behind the coverage as the Montana State Legislature meets in an unprecedented session. This week, lawmakers finally took up one of the most highly anticipated bills of the session, a proposal to legalize marijuana. But there wasn't just one bill. There was a few different pitches on how to implement a recreational cannabis program approved by voters last fall. Seaborn, can you start by walking us through what the process was this week? Yeah. So this was the first of sort of a two-week
1: marijuana marathon. Um, Two committees in the House are looking at these marijuana bills. That's the House Business and Labor Committee and then the House Taxation Committee. And those uh, committees sort of look at the the regulatory policy as well as the uh, kind of the tax revenues and allocations and and what the options are there. So there are three bills. uh, The the big bill, as some lawmakers have referred to it, is the 144-page House Bill 701. That's from Representative Mike Hopkins. He's a Republican from Missoula, um, and this is sort of the uh, the the bill that's that's had the most work on it. There's um, you know been work reviews gone into this. It contains the governor's heart fund for substance abuse and addiction treatment, um, and that's sort of the the most comprehensive of the three. Then we've got uh, House Bill 670 from Representative Derek Skies. He's a Republican from Kalispell, and this bill um, really has a bigger focus on what to do with the uh, tax revenue allocations. What he wants to do is um, set these uh, these revenues mostly into into public employee pensions, but then uh, one third of that revenue he'd want to send to a trust fund where. Lawmakers could allocate the interest from that trust fund towards um, what he calls the economic and societal costs of marijuana. Obviously, there are still a lot of Republicans who are who are concerned and not necessarily comfortable with uh, recreational marijuana use. Um, but uh, they've acknowledged that you know the voters did pass this, and um, they've passed marijuana initiatives every time it's gone to a statewide vote, and so. Um, they're sort of trying to figure out how to, how to best manage that. So kind of in that same vein, house bill 707 from representative Brad Cheetah, he's a Republican from Missoula as well. Uh, his bill focuses mostly on, um, wholesaling. It kind of shifts the, the whole, uh, regulatory oversight, the government's involvement really in this industry to the wholesale market. And so that's to say that we can have, um, providers who uh, can just grow, just cultivate, and then um, sell their products to the dispensaries, the providers, and they want to really aim the government oversight at that transaction. And so um, the reasoning behind that is that's kind of how they um, got a handle on alcohol um, after prohibition. You know, back in the day, this is uh, sort of kind of the end of prohibition for, uh, you know, for everybody who's, who's been waiting for marijuana to, to be legalized. And so, um, like I said, those two committees that we heard that we heard from this week, house biz and labor, um, heard all three. And then yesterday there was, uh, sort of some movement on, uh, the other, the other bills, those three went to house taxation to be heard. And then because we're bumping up against this transmittal deadline, uh, they sort of rushed a vote yesterday to, to get those out of committee.
0: Okay, so let's backtrack a little bit. We've got three competing bills um, on the implementation of recreational cannabis. Um, one that seems by all appearances to be a little bit more comprehensive um, and that's Rep Hopkins bill. Can you walk us through what's in that bill um, and who showed up to support and oppose it and uh, what their concerns were? Yeah, certainly the biggest concern we heard from providers
1: this week is the flip from um, opt out to opt in, and what that means is in the initiative that voters passed last year um, by fifty-seven percent. By the way, the uh, the counties still have the option to opt out, so that's to say that the county commissioners can vote to say we don't want any marijuana businesses in our um, in our county, and so um, that was in the initiative. But Hopkins' bill kind of flips that on its head and says uh, counties need to um, opt in in order to allow uh marijuana businesses in the counties and so that sort of sets up sort of a you know de facto reverse of the legalization there's um you know i think half and half of the counties went either way when it came to legalization obviously more some counties are more populated than others and that's how um, marijuana pass, but the um, the chance that uh, you know providers who are operating within a county that uh, might vote to to reject marijuana businesses really has a lot of providers on edge right now. So Rep- Representative Hopkins he says, you know, this is not necessarily an argument he quite believes in, or he's waiting for more evidence that if a provider is already operating in a county counties and local governments generally already had the option to, to say, uh, we don't want marijuana businesses here. And that's, uh, that's something Billings has exercised in the past. There's, uh, uh, longstanding kind of, um, I don't want to call it an issue, but, uh, you know, that's kind of the arrangement out in Yellowstone County where providers have been pushed out into the County. And so, um, Hopkins point is that if there's, uh, already, if local government's already allowing marijuana businesses to operate there, he doesn't he doesn't suspect that uh, they're suddenly going to flip and, and uh, kick these providers out of the county. But still the providers who are worried about this have invested millions of dollars into their facilities, into their operations. They've paid uh, taxes and um, worked pretty hard to be in good standing and follow all the regulations and be in
0: compliance. And so um, certainly, that angst was on display this week. So and there's been there's been a lot of talk about where the tax revenue goes. can you Can you uh, clue us in on how Hopkins bill' um, Hopkins bill uh, appropriates that tax revenue? Yeah, and it's a pretty interesting
1: way to do it. So there's uh, the Governor's heart fund, which I said before is for um, substance abuse and addiction treatment. So the the tax money would essentially first go into that account until it reaches um, about $6 million. And then from there, the the remaining tax revenues then start filling up uh, four different accounts and um, 88% of that money is going to go to the general fund while uh, 4% would go to state parks, 4% would go to state trails, and another 4% would go to um, non-game wildlife. And so... This is a pretty big departure from the uh, ballot initiative that uh, passed last year in that initiative, um, you know roughly half went to um, you know conservation public lands. Uh, I think that was a big big component of why people voted for it. I'm not necessarily convinced that um, people who would have voted for legalization otherwise, voted for it simply because of that tax revenue. But um, we're not sure if we haven't taken that kind of poll. And so the the biggest part of this that we've heard from the conservation folks is they want that money back and they've been present pretty much at every turn through that legislation uh, or legislative process. And so um, we haven't heard too much in the way of committee hearings that uh, has... Made anyone think that that conservation funding is going to come back?
0: So, as we all know, a, a bill has to pass out of the legislature and then it has to get uh, signed by the governor. Um, of all three bills, uh, we think um, that Jane Forte has given his blessing to Hopkins' bills over the other ones, or or um, I think. I think there's certainly
1: the the expectation that he he likes Hopkins bill best just because it, it contains his heart fund, which uh, actually didn't make it out of committee earlier this session, kind of in the early budgeting process. This is sort of a way for him to um, still get that fund and, and still address that, uh, you know, substance abuse has been uh, something he's talked about on the campaign trail, um, you know, campaign after campaign. Uh, into his State of the Union speech earlier this year, and so uh, that one sort of has the has the sense. You know, people talk about it like it's the it's either Hopkins' bill or the governor's bill. Is kind of how people refer to it. And when I talked to Representative Hopkins earlier this year, he did say uh, that he had been working on that bill um, with folks on the second floor, which is in reference to the to the governor's office in the Capitol.
0: So you know. Uh, We've talked a lot on Hopkins bill, but there's these two other bills that you introduced at the top of this segment. Um, And there was some legislative maneuvering that happened on Thursday at the Capitol. Can you kind of walk us through this insider baseball that happened? Yeah, yesterday, um, you know, it's been
1: it's been a pretty interesting session where people have sort of been kind of over in their own silos. A lot of that's because of COVID, a lot of people working from home, that sort of thing but uh, yesterday kind of felt like someone uh, threw a grenade into the room uh, for a moment when, when two of these bills died, actually. And so uh, the, the way the legislature works is they need to get these um, bills across to the other chamber before this upcoming Thursday deadline. And um, if they're still in committee, then that means we're still talking about two or three days uh, that, of process that still needs to happen before these bills can cross over. And so because of that deadline things were kind of set in this pressure cooker environment where um, they needed to have both committees hear all three of these bills but they also needed to vote them out of committee um you know yesterday on thursday and so uh while the house taxation committee probably had the fewest time to examine uh hopkins bill they ended up being the committee to vote on it. Meanwhile, the House Biz and Labor Committee would take the votes on the other two bills. And so, uh, first one up was Representative Skees' Bill 60 or six seventy, and that one passed out of committee. I think I think a lot of people are interested in how the how the tax tax revenues are allocated in that one. And then House Bill uh, seven hundred and seven from Brad Cheetah, That one actually died in the House and or in the sorry House Biz Labor Committee. And so, while this is going on. Um, Across the hall, house taxation is trying to figure out how to uh, address this this big bill that they've had not very much time to work on. And they certainly, a couple people certainly have issues with, um, with the language in the bill states in terms of uh, regulation, tax revenues, things like that. So um, a few of us were sitting in the press room in the basement listening to the vote on uh, Hopkins bill, and there was a moment when we all kind of realized that this bill was actually going to go down. This it wasn't going to make it, and this would be um, a sort of a big blow to the to the marijuana implementation process. And once uh, the votes were counted, that that bill died, and they tabled it. And so me and a, and a, a bunch of reporters <laughs> rushed up to the next floor and stood outside the committee room and just waited to see um, what was going to happen. And it was you know maybe 10 or 15 minutes later uh we saw a bunch of republican leadership between senator jason ellsworth he's the number two republican in the senate and casey Knudsen is the number two republican in the house along with hopkins uh a few other republicans the house taxation committee that had just uh voted down the big bill called a recess and um as soon as people started walking out of that building the the whipping was on the the a couple of Republicans who had joined Democrats to vote against that bill. We saw them kind of get cornered in the hallways and uh, saw a little bit of horse trading going on. Certainly some people had concerns that uh, the um, provisions in the other bills were now off the table. I think there's an expectation that somewhere along the process, these bills are going to get blended together, or at least um, certain parts of these bills may be combined into a bigger bill. And so um, in order to rectify that, the other, committee, House Business and Labor, uh, they reconvened and they got together and reconsidered House Bill 707, make sure it passed uh, just to get that over the line in order to get House Bill 701, that's Hopkins' bill, uh, over the line. And so after that uh, sort of fiasco in the hallway, uh, the House Taxation Committee got back together. Um, People kind of shared their concerns and then uh but all the republicans who had and republicans control this committee it's worth saying uh so all those republicans who had voted against it um had been flipped and now they've uh on the second vote they Gosh. they voted to pass it and so this was um sort of the original plan is what house speaker wiley galt said yesterday was to make sure all of these bills get out of committee so that uh, we have more options just to uh try to create the best policy and so you know, there hasn't been a lot of moments like this in the legislature so far this session where, um, you know, people are, are storming down to the first floor and uh, kind of working in this environment where we have literal minutes before the, the house floor needs to get underway. And so it's been kind of this uh, this working process the whole time, certainly introducing these bills so late before this transmittal deadline didn't help. But. Um, it was really, a, it was kind of a, uh, a moment of fireworks or political intrigue or whatever you want to call it. But um, I think it certainly is uh, an indication that this, this isn't necessarily going to be a smooth ride in the weeks to come. And so next week, the House will um, hear all three bills on the House floor uh speaker galt says this is um sort of the plan he'd cleared off a lot of the work for next week just to make room uh for a showdown between the three bills and and we'll see what comes out as uh i think most of the amendments are likely going to happen uh on the senate side once they have a little more time to drill into the bill
0: thanks seaborn uh sounds like a fun day of reporting um Tom, let's let's talk about uh, the legislation that you've been following recently, uh, and it has to do with easements. Why don't you explain uh, to listeners um, what's going on?
2: Um, so Tom, we're one bill that um, kind of went through, um, there there's a couple of different transmittal deadlines, and this one went through the Senate kind of right at transmittal. It's from uh, Senator Steve Heimbeis, Republican from Weibo. It's Senate bill three fifty four. Um, there's lots of different types of easements. Um, you know, you can, you can have, um, a formal easement, you know, you, you pay money for, um, there's easements, you know, conservation easements where you put a restriction on the type of development you can put on a property. Um, and then there's something called the prescriptive easement. Um, uh, this is a, a concept that's rooted and actually all the way back in like English common law. Um, so pretty Pretty um, ba- back there, but they're also can be pretty controversial too. Uh, what a prescriptive easement is? Um, it basically says if you have been granted um, access across private property for a period of five years, um, you actually can have uh, obtain what's called a prescriptive easement, which give you a legal right to continue to do that access. Um, These have been manifested in all sorts of ways um, across the West, um, whether that be um, access for public lands or, you know, a handshake agreement between neighbors that say, Hey, I need to go check my cattle. Um, Can I cross this corner of your property? And neighbor says, Oh yeah, sure. That's fine. If you do that for five years um, you actually then end up with a legal right to continue to do that. So obviously I think we can all see what the issue is when the person who granted the permission then may want to rescind the permission. Um, So, you know, you get some dust ups. A lot of these cases end up, um, I've actually heard 5% of easement cases actually end up before the Montana Supreme court uh, makes up their whole caseload. So um, pretty big issue. So what Heimbo wanted to do with, with his uh, bill and he gave a couple of examples and, and I don't think, I think this is why I picked up some democratic support was he basically said, you know, anything that's in writing and and this is sort of true for easements anyway, but he, he he wanted to make it pretty clear that anything that's not in writing um, say, for example, um, you gave permission to your neighbor to cross your property, to check livestock on his property or her property. um, That doesn't mean that, once you have a prescriptive easement, then you can subdivide your property and continue to use that property to access that subdivision. Um, So that passed without, you know, a whole lot of fireworks, um, pretty minimal discussion, a little bit of bipartisanship. So it gets to house judiciary. And last week, uh, representative Barry Usher, uh, Yellowstone County, uh, put it on an amendment and it was, a pretty far reaching amendment. It really surprised Democrats and it makes a ton of changes um, to prescriptive easements in the state. Um, so what that amendment would do, and I just want to make sure I get everything clear here. So um, what you have is, is what's called the water court in Montana. And that's what Republicans who are supporting this have, have equated this to, but it wants to set up basically a formal state, registration process for these prescriptive easements through DNRC. Right now, if you get a prescriptive easement, you do it and you do do it in writing, you decide to put it in writing. It can go to the county courthouse. Um, This would basically standardize the process. There's a filing fee. Um, There would be a deadline by the end of next year to file all prescriptive easements in the state. Um, The amendment would further um like we said prohibit prescriptive easements created through a leaseholder. so if you were leasing private land and you were allowing access you could not be the one that would um establish a prescriptive easement it has to be the owner uh the other provision of that of that amendment um would actually uh, prohibit a prescriptive easement if it accessed public lands and there was another access within one mile so i think the, the committee vote was pretty interesting um Representative uh, Danny Tenenbaum from Missoula was like, um, you know, this is a very major amendment. Um, we haven't had time to look at this. Let's delay action on it. Um, uh, Tom France, another Democrat from Missoula, um, has some expertise in this area. He's worked in conservation was and said, you know, these are incredibly complicated um, cases. You know, trying to establish that you use something for five years to qualify for one of these easements is a huge legal undertaking. So the Democrats wanted to delay it um, really with no discussion. The Republicans passed it and it went to the floor. Um, Meanwhile, um, house judiciary, I'll I'll just be honest with you, isn't a committee I watch a ton of, Um, but I I did hear some, some issues with it. Um, Conservation groups were, were starting to raise some alarms about this provision. So we, we looked into it and it took, took a little bit of time Um, for one thing. Um, we did want to talk to, to, to representative Usher, um, and sort of say, where is this coming from? Why is it coming? So, um, you know, Seaborn was up at the Capitol. He caught Usher, um, I think after a committee one day and talked to him about it. And he basically said, you know, this is coming from a constituent, um, and that, you know, it would make easements harder to obtain. Um, but he also gave the example of, you know, we don't want leaseholders, um, establishing these easements when they don't own the land. Um the big issue though and I talked to uh, attorney Jim Gets from Bozeman. So um Jim Gets is pretty well known in the field of public access. He is actually the attorney that litigated the cases um that led to Montana Stream Access law. So um what Gets told me is that this is a drastic change in the law. Um that the idea you're going to um first of all take all these down to writing when a lot of them are handshake agreements. Um uh, i think he he called that absurd or ridiculous i think were his words and he said that um you know there's thousands if not tens of thousands of these uh, prescriptive easements in the state and basically what he said was he thought that you know this was gonna this was specifically trying to target those easements that were crossing uh, private land um, to access public land so public recreation easements um the other thing that that i think we've seen pointed out is that um, it would only allow a person or government entity to hold a prescriptive easement. So you have groups in Montana that um, do fundraise and litigate at times for these prescriptive easements. They're nonprofits um, from the outside. It does appear that um, this could possibly um, bar them from holding or litigating for these, these uh, public access agreements. Usher sure didn't seem to think so, but um, I, I think um, there were aspects of the bill that even Usher said he wasn't an expert on th- this area of law. Um, well, he's, he said he's an access proponent. He, he, he admitted he's, he wasn't as knowledgeable on this as some other people. So that's kind of where we're at with it. Um, like I said, it's an incredibly complicated situation, um, <laughs> when you're trying to figure out these prescriptive easements, um, So what happens now is the bill moved to the Senate with the House amendments. Um, Very little discussion on the amendment when they took it up on Thursday. um, Heinbach got up and said, uh, we need to do more work on this and encourage the Senate to um, do what's called a not concur vote with the House amendments. That passed 50 to nothing. Um, So what happens now is you go to what's called a conference committee. Um, It's a bicameral committee, and um, they'll try to work this out amongst themselves and see where this bill goes from there and that'll happen after the break
0: wow uh thanks tom for making sense of what sounds like a highly complex and complicated issue um that made sense i'm glad I sure. <laughs> it, it did it did you know um and uh yeah so sam um A pretty major bill you've been tracking was voted down in the House this week after getting an initial positive vote. That the bill that aimed to increase access to voting on the state's reservations. Can you walk us through how this bill got defeated? Uh, Yeah, sure, Tom. Um, Yeah, House Bill
3: 613 had a pretty lengthy journey uh, through the House. Um, It started out as kind of a a late um, introduced bill from Representative Sharon Stewart-Paragoy, a Democrat from Crow Agency. Um, And it proposed a number of things that, um, you know, a lot of voting rights advocates and especially the Native American community in Montana had been asking for for a while, Um, namely just uh, more direct access to uh, polling sites and, uh, elections offices on reservations in Montana. Um, often, uh, especially in, in more rural parts of the state, um, people who live on reservations may have to drive, you know, well over a hundred miles round trip just to get to their nearest elections office, uh, to register to vote or to cast a ballot in person. Um, So what this sought to do was require that um, satellite or alternative election offices be placed on reservations, um, in addition to some other measures, um, like ensuring that there would be more ballot drop boxes in rural locations on reservations uh, for mail-in ballots. Um, This was, like I said, it was introduced pretty late, and uh, what happened was they were it was potentially going to miss the transmittal deadline. So they added some money to it to, to give it a little bit more time to work on. Um, and this was in the house, sorry, house state administration committee. Um, and then for about a week, they were coming in for, um, you know, about an hour before each meeting every morning, um, kind of a bipartisan group of lawmakers from the committee uh, working on hammering something out. That would be, um you know, that would include components of what the the tribes were asking for in this legislation, but also taking into account some of the issues that the counties had brought up. Um, you know, a lot of county election offices, especially in rural parts of the state, don't have very large budgets. Um, so asking them to, you know, essentially open up and staff an entire other office, um, you know, is really just kind of cost prohibitive for a lot of them. So they worked together and, uh, and over the course of the week, were able to ham- hammer out kind of a compromise legislation, um, that was unanimously passed by the, uh, 19 member house state administration committee. Um, so it looks like it had a lot of momentum moving onto the floor. Um, it got a second reading on Monday and it was, it was pretty close. Um, Democrats supported the legislation along with a number of more moderate Republicans and, uh, you know, it, it just kind of barely squeaked out a majority. And then it came back up on Wednesday for third reading. And, uh, and it had lost a lot of that Republican support ended up failing um, on a pretty, pretty close vote. Um, I spoke with uh, a number of the people who had worked on the legislation after that vote. And, um, you know, I think they were they were pretty disappointed by the outcome. Um, I don't know that they were necessarily surprised, though. Um, you know, this has kind of um, been a major issue this legislative session. Um, you know, there's been a lot of efforts to make mail-in voting and registration easier uh, for people that are, you know, supported by Democrats, and they just haven't been gaining a whole lot of traction in the legislature. Um. So once this failed, um, you know a few a few Republicans changed their votes to no votes. And uh, one thing that was interesting about the final vote was that one of the members of the American Indian Caucus, uh, Jonathan Windy Boy, out of Box Elder, he's a he's a Democrat, and he ended up voting no against it after um, he said his constituents reached out to him and said they felt that the bill in its amended form just didn't go far enough um, that it it had lost too many of the, uh, the reforms that they were looking for in the first place. And they felt it was too watered down to even be worth passing. Um, so it sounds like from, from talking to folks that, that worked on this bill, um, you know, they want to see it continue to get more work over the interim, uh, likely it's going to end up, uh, you know, probably being a subject of conversation in the state tribal relations interim committee um and they're yeah hoping that maybe next session they'll have a little bit more luck getting something passed you
0: touched on it briefly at the top but could you go back and explain to folks why access to voting on reservations is such a problem sure
3: yeah this has been a a pretty long-standing issue um in montana at least um you know there was a there's a lawsuit some years back uh, by several reservations against the counties they're located in as well as the state um, that resulted in a settlement that actually guides how those counties conduct um, you know the last 30 days up until the election um, they're required to operate uh, satellite election offices on the reservation Um, and the reason for the settlement or for the uh, lawsuit was that you know a lot of a lot of Native Americans who live on reservations, they have to travel oftentimes long distances to get to their nearest election office. So that means if they're if they're registering to vote or if they change their address and need to update that, if they um, are casting a ballot in person, um, you know, they need to either drive that whole way or find a ride, you um, you know i mean there's there's always issues with rural roads and weather and um and even with uh, montana's mail and ballot system um you know it doesn't necessarily make it a whole lot easier for a lot of folks on reservations when they don't have residential mail service um you know so they might still live a ways away from you know their po boxes
0: um okay so sam as the state opens up COVID-19 vaccinations to all adults, Uh, there are two legislators who have concerns about things like vaccine passports or other requirements and are bringing legislation aimed at that. Can you walk folks through that legislation? Sure. Yeah. There's, um, so
3: there's two new bills that were recently introduced. And um, I mean, there's, there's been at least four pieces of legislation that have, uh, that have come through this session in some form to that, address uh, vaccinations and uh, the ability of people to to not be vaccinated, but, you know, say still have their kids attend school, public schools and that sort of thing. Um, the latest two are pretty similar bills, House Bills 702 and 703. So House Bill 702 passed the House on Thursday on second reading. They'll still need another vote before it heads over to the Senate. Um, it's sponsored by Republican Representative Jennifer Carlson, um, who's brought a couple other uh, vaccine-related uh, bills earlier in the session. Um, her concern and why she's bringing this bill is that, um, you know, as more people are vaccinated, uh for COVID-19, that there's going to be, you know, essentially discrimination against people that for whatever reason aren't vaccinated, um, you know, that they're not going to be able to travel, they're not going to be able to access the same services or facilities as people that are vaccinated. And, um, you know, and she makes the point that, that a lot of people can not get vaccinated for various reasons, um, you know, whether it's a, it's a religious issue, or if they, you know, there are certain people that have Allergies to vaccines that, that have severe allergic reactions. Um, so, under current state law, um, you know, people who have um, who don't get vaccinated on a medical or religious basis can get an exemption. Um, you know, that allows um, if they're you know a, a student, it allows them to continue going to public school even though they don't you know have the vaccines that you're supposed to have in order to attend. Um, her bill would apply pretty broadly, however. It's not just about COVID-19, um, and it would essentially allow, allow people to not be vaccinated um, in its original uh, language for pretty much any reason, and it would prohibit any, any business or government entity from denying any sorts of services or access to people that hadn't been vaccinated Um, now this was amended on the floor to put some sideboards on it. Um, you know, now the, the current language of the bill basically requires that you have, um, some kind of specific exemption, whether it's medical or religious, um, in order to, for this law to apply, but, uh, but Democrats and and a lot of people in public health, um, are really worried about this bill because they say that, um, you know, in addition to just kind of generally making vaccines more controversial, um, it also opens the door to allowing people to not be vaccinated and still access uh, nursing homes or hospitals or, um, you know, medical settings that have vulnerable populations. And, um, you know, that's, that's also something that uh, a lot of opponents to House Bill 703 express concern with. Um, that's the other bill that's currently still in the House Judiciary Committee. Um, And it's it also um, it's sponsored by Representative Jedediah Hinkle, a Republican out of Belgrade, and it contains a lot of similar language. It also focuses on uh, potential discrimination against people who haven't had the COVID-19 vaccine um, and uh, makes a lot of references to vaccine passports. Um, So during the committee hearings, you had a lot of uh, a lot of people from uh, hospital associations from the Montana Medical Association, um, organizations representing childcare f- facilities, and uh, public health officials, as well, speaking out against these bills, um, out of concern that it would basically open the door to um, you know these types of facilities not being able to require that staff or patients or visitors um, have certain vaccines before they um, they're admitted to these facilities.
0: <laughs> thanks sam uh that's another episode of big sky lead uh if you want to keep hearing these updates make sure and subscribe wherever podcasts are found thanks guys thanks Tom. Awesome. Thanks. thank you